Thanks, John. And uh, what a privilege it is to be able to uh, turn to God's Word again. And we pray that as uh, we do this now, uh, that we would be blessed and encouraged and that we would be able perhaps to uh, learn um, something uh, new, something we've not considered before, uh, something that we have um, perhaps missed, if I can use those words as reverently as possible Assuming that everybody here loves reading their Bible, spends time reading their Bible, and is desirous of wanting to know what God has to say to us. So we just read uh, a few verses uh, from the beginning section that we're looking at, which is uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, through to verse 21. And the verse 21 is the end of a section of Scripture which is quoted from uh, the prophet Joel. Now, uh, some of us would struggle to find the prophecy of Joel, Most of us would struggle to be particularly enthusiastic whilst reading the prophecy of Joel because it is pretty negative stuff. And then all of a sudden, we discover these words which the Apostle Peter takes and he quotes here in Acts 2. So we read verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. Listen to what I am saying. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so the congregation in front of him, who were all Jewish, we're told in the scriptures uh, that we read beforehand, we're even told where they came from, they would have known what he's about to say. Well, as soon as he begins. But they would have known what is coming. And Peter says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And all of a sudden they're thinking, okay, this is interesting. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, hallelujah. I've always wanted to do this. Everybody said hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. And this is a very, very fascinating set of uh, of verses, a section of scripture that appears here in, uh, in Acts 2. Now, forgive me for saying this, and I'm sure none of you have got the same problem that I had, but growing up all my life, I could never really understand why Peter spoke from Joel 2. Okay? Because you're thinking to yourself, how do these words really fit in with what is, be, what is being spoken of? Well, absolutely they do. And it was my problem, it was my inability to perhaps to think and to understand and to recognize what's been going. Now, it's possible that you fall into that category as well. And you're thinking to yourself, and you've been wondering all your life, what has all this got to do with Pentecost? What has this got to do with the Holy Spirit coming? Well, it's got everything to do with it, hasn't it? At least the first verse does of the section of Scripture. And then the last verse is a tremendous encouragement as well for us. But what's all this stuff in between about, you know, um, um, uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams. 
maidservants, men servants. I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall be prophets. They'll prophesy. And I'm going to show wonders in the heavens, um, signs in the heavens above, uh, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. It's getting a bit scary now. Uh, and it goes on to say, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And there it is, the great and awesome day of the Lord that comes in to this particular section of scripture. So we've got a rush. Uh, yes, we have got a rush because we're endeavoring to keep on time uh, these days. But <laughs> there's so much packed away in, in all of these scriptures. And it's always a shame to feel uh, held by the clock. But, but I, I'll do my best because, um, and if we have to take another week, we can do that as well. You see, from the opening uh, verses, uh, if you remember, and I just have to clarify this and help us to remember from the opening verses that we have here in Acts chapter 2, if you remember, there were three things, um, there were three consequences, if you like, from what was taking place. And we see them in verses 12 and 13. They're also alluded to earlier in verses 6 and 7. But verse 12 says they were amazed. That was the first response that the people who are hearing the tongues, the gift of tongues that has been spoken of, they were amazed. Why were they amazed? Well, they were amazed because they were not expecting this. That was their first response. We also discover that they were perplexed. That was the second response. And then lastly, the crowd began to ask some strange questions. And one of them was uh, something like this. These guys must be drunk. I mean, can you imagine what a stupid thing to say? Because you hear someone speaking perfectly in a language that you thought you were the only one present who could speak. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's a, an incredible thing. So you see that there was amazement, they, they're perplexed, and there's a sense of criticism because they didn't like what was going on. And these are the three responses that are common today when we talk to people about the gospel. Uh, they're common experiences also that we see when God is at work in people's lives. And it's interesting to, say the way, to see the way that the media responds and so on. Amazement, we didn't expect this. Perplexity, we don't understand what's going on. Criticism, we don't like it. But Peter stood up. He stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter explained the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He covered these important things. Then he explains to the people what your problem is. He talks about the fact that you're the ones who are sinners. Your sin needs to be dealt with. And then he goes on and he, and he cuts them to the heart, the scriptures tell us, because he says, and it was you that nailed him to the tree. It was you. In fact, I can. It, it's me and you. Because it's our sin that Jesus has dealt with too. So we are responsible in as much a way as the crowd that has stood before Peter as he gives this message. And that's one of the great reasons why this message is so applicable to us today. Because it's not us and them. It's us. All of us. Now this week we want to begin to look at just a little bit of detail as to what Peter actually preached. But we can only begin to, uh, to touch on this. There was the gift of tongues. We've spoken about this for I think about three weeks uh, um, that was uh, presented. And so one of the questions that we might ask, and, uh, ask ourselves and say, well, was Peter still speaking in tongues when he gave this message? Well, we're not told explicitly that he was. 
Um, so I suppose uh, we could simply say that we don't really know, and, and that would be a reasonable statement. We can't say for certainty. We, we can't be um, uh, you know, bold and blunt about this because we just don't know. But what we are probably able to determine is that Peter would have spoken to the crowd, probably in Aramaic um, or indeed Hebrew, because remember, this is a Jewish crowd that are stood before him. And in verse 22, we see that being clarified for us because uh, uh, Peter addresses the crowd as the men of Israel. So we see very clearly, Peter is sure that his congregation are able to understand him as he continues to preach. And as I say, probably Aramaic, probably, or, or Hebrew is the language that he is using. And the message he is preaching is being preached from a Jew, Peter was a Jew, to a Jewish congregation who has stood before him. Verse 14 says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Verse 22 says, men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 29 says, men and brethren, let me speak freely. And verse 36 says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know. So that's just for clarification as to who is speaking, who is being spoken to, who is listening, and, uh, and so on. Peter is Jewish, he's talking to a Jewish people and he's preaching on a Jewish holy day, that's Pentecost, because it's the morning of Pentecost. Uh, and that helps us a great deal because we understand that this is a Sunday and uh, there's, there's, there's some good reasons uh, that that's important to us. Peter is also preaching about the Jewish Messiah. We must not forget this. But at this point, we discover that the comfort zone for his congregation begins to come to an end. It's beginning to crash down around them. Simply, Jesus was not the Messiah that Israel was looking for. Even though our Lord Jesus had fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, but what they wanted was a Messiah to come and free them from the bondage of Rome. They wanted a king to rule over them and to restore the kingdom of Israel. But our Lord Jesus Christ came and he did something much more wonderful than that, something more amazing than ever they could have imagined. Jesus came with a message of freedom from sin. He came with a message of freedom from bondage. He came with a message that went far beyond any political desire that the people had, any political freedom that they were looking for. Jesus offered them relationship with God through the Father, through Him, through Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to begin to look at three explanations that Peter gives in this message, in this sermon. And I think that uh, we're only going to have time to look at the first one this morning, and then next week we'll look at the second. Hopefully, as we get to uh, Christmas, we'll see that the third one will tie in with the fact that Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. Are there any sinners here this morning? <laughs> okay, hands up straight away. Okay, it's absolutely right. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We know why he appeared, as the Apostle John says in his first epistle. So the order is, uh, firstly, we're going to look at Peter as he explains what happened. That's just that simple. That's all we're going to look at today, what happened. 
the Holy Spirit had come, verses 14 to 21. And then next week, God willing, we'll um, look at uh, Peter explaining how it happened. And how did it happen? Jesus was alive. That's, that's how it happened. Okay, verse 22 to 35. And then Peter explained why it happened. And the reason it happened was to save sinners. Okay, verses 36 to 41. So firstly, Peter explained what happened, namely that the Spirit had come. But Peter has to begin by putting um, the utterly crazy notion down that people were throwing about, about this 120 people or so, who had received the Holy Spirit at about 9 a.m. on Pentecost Sunday. As I said, it was a Sunday. And there's rumors going around that this group of people have been drinking heavily all night. And come the morning... They are still intoxicated. Now, as you look at the scriptures, we see that there are a number of references to the fact that there is a correlation. And I've, you know, it's one of those things you wonder. Um, okay, I, I have to say this to you, and, and you might be surprised, but I have never been intoxicated <laughs> with alcohol, so I'm not able to enter into this particular point that I'm making. Now, some of you might have a different story to say, and I don't want to hear any of your stories at all. Okay, that's not for me, but um, due to the fact that my mother uh, was very careful in the way that she raised me and the fact that we were absolutely terrified, my brother and I, we would not have engaged in heavy drinking because the consequences would have been severe. So uh, uh, that's something that, um, that I can't understand. However, the scriptures do talk about the fact that there is a correlation between the way that alcohol works and the way that the Holy Spirit uh, or the, the, the uh, experience that we have. If you look at uh, Ephesians 5, for example, you can begin to see that. But what I want to say to you this morning is that whatever happened, and these, these 120 people or so, there's something that's utterly different about them. Okay, and people are confused. They're trying to work out what it is that's going on along. Well, one of the things is that there was joy that was present in their hearts and life. And wouldn't you be full of joy as the Holy Spirit comes in and works in you and you start to see the manifestations of things like the gift of tongues that was taking place? People were able to communicate in languages they had never spoken. They'd never been to uh, to language, you know, learning English as a foreign language or whatever it was. They didn't have to. Because God was at work through the Holy Spirit. And, and their whole attitude, their demeanor, everything had to have changed. And sometimes I look at the congregation and I think to myself, what would happen? <laughs> what would happen if we'd been there on that morning? I'd love to think that we would be full of joy and that we would see it on our faces and we would see it in the conversation that took place. Because we know that they're talking about the wonders of God, remember? The wonderful things that God's done for them. So we know what they're talking about and we can see that that was taking place. So essentially Peter stands up and he says, look chaps, these guys are not drunk. The bars are closed. You know, 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning is not the time that bars are normally open. And an Orthodox Jew would not eat or drink, I think I'm right in saying, before nine o'clock in the morning. 
You know, there, there was, there was a, a tradition, there was an understanding. And so the whole thing is just crazy what is being said. But I think that just helps us to understand the enormity of what's taking place. Lives are totally transformed. Everything has changed. The joyful worship of the believers was not the result of too much wine, Peter explains so very clearly. However, it is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why he has to come on and he takes the Old Testament scripture as he does. Peter explains to the people who are making these ridiculous accusations that it was not happening, in fact, uh, because of, uh, of alcohol. It was happening because of something that the scriptures themselves spoke about. And so he takes them back to Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Peter is explaining that what they are witnessing is the arrival of God's Holy Spirit that was spoken of long ago. And this as well, not just the arrival of the Holy Spirit, but something else totally, totally unexpected. And it's this, the Holy Spirit indwelt people. Okay, and not just one person at a time, but suddenly all this 120 people that are gathered in the upper room. All of them. Now, this was something that was so tremendously different because that was not the way it had functioned, the way that it had worked, the way that God had worked previously. That was so different to people. That was not what they were expecting. So it wasn't just simply the arrival of the Holy Spirit, but it was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And friends, I say this graciously. If you know and love the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And we should be able to see it. We should be able to know it. People that come across our path should be able to determine what it is that's going on. So quoting here from Joel, Peter gives authority to what he is saying because he is quoting from the scriptures. Remember, I've said it before and I say it again. When somebody comes to you and say, oh, God's told me this, okay? And perhaps they spend a while telling you what God has told them. What is it that you do first? You need to determine that what they're saying is actually from God. And the way that we do that is to say, does it contradict God's word? Because if somebody comes to you and is starting to explain something, you know, the way you treat your wife or the way you treat your children or whatever it is, and you know that that is contrary to God's word, then you know it is not from God that they are speaking. And so remember that we always have to, un, uh, to, to compare and to contrast and to ask and to seek, is this in keeping with God's word? And I believe that that's what Peter's doing here. They're seeing something and they're uneasy about it. They're worried about it. In fact, they're so worried they're being critical about it. And the criticism they're giving is they're saying all these people are drunk. Okay? And so what Peter then does is to encourage them and to calm them by quoting from the scriptures. And so he quotes from Joel's prophecy. Now, as we begin to look at these words, it's important that we understand one thing. Um, Acts 2 verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, Please notice that Peter did not say that Pentecost was the fulfillment of the prophecy that we have here in Joel 2, verses 28 to 32. 
Why do I say that? Well, because the signs and wonders predicted had not occurred. Joel promised wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun turned to darkness and the moon into blood. But there's no record that these things occurred on that Sunday of Pentecost. The miracle that fascinated the crowd was the miracle of tongues, not the remarkable signs of nature. So we see that very clearly. Now the essential reason that Peter quoted from Joel was that the Holy Spirit had come. This was the beginning of the last days. But even in this there is more because Joel prophesied that the Holy Spirit would also come and this was a terrible shock for Jewish people, would come on all flesh. That meant the Gentiles down the road. You know, the ones that they didn't want to have anything to do with. And all of a sudden, this God who loves his creation is saying, these people, I love them too. And the prophet Joel had explained this and they'd so often missed it. And as you look through the Old Testament scriptures, you see the way that God still had his... When he spoke to Abraham, who was he talking about? It wasn't just the Jewish people. It was the world. And so we see very clearly that now things are beginning to, um, if you like, get a bit tense for them. Because uh, Joel speaks about all flesh, including the Gentiles. And in verse 16 of Acts 2, Peter simply says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Very simple. In other words, listen to what the prophet said. You know, your own words, the scriptures that we have before us. But if Joel was right about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, then Joel is going to be right about the rest of his prophecy when this time comes. But in quoting from Joel, Peter is showing that he sees and he knows the concerns that his congregation have. He knows that they want to know if what is happening is in line with what the Scriptures, what God has to say will happen, will take place. And so Peter shows that. He is sensitive to their needs and their concerns. And friends, when we talk to people, it is important that we learn the Scriptures so that we can explain. This is not my words. This is God's Word speaking to them. That's why our evangelism team are learning Scriptures and uh, we need to continue to do that. He understands what the concerns of the people are and he is at this point connecting with the people. Peter is, if you like, building bridges. And I'm going to suggest to you that apostolic preaching should always be about building bridges. Because that's what we need to do. We need to present the gospel in a way that people can understand, that there's passion, that they can hear, that they can see the enthusiasm. If we're not enthusiastic about the gospel, how can we expect them to be enthusiastic about the gospel? So bridge building is important. And preaching is almost always about building bridges from one thing to another. And having built that bridge, he's got the people's attention because he's understood their interest and he speaks towards their interest. And then he takes them to the scripture and he quotes from the prophet Joel. Yes, as I've said already, one of the more obscure Old Testament prophets. Uh, and unlike most of the Old Testament prophets, it's not even easy to date Joel. We don't really know exactly when his prophecy was written or what period he's uh, uh, writing it from because he doesn't tell us who the king was when he wrote it. So it's not easy to exactly predict that period of time. But the prophecy of Joel is also 
as I also mentioned earlier, somewhat depressing in general terms. His prophecy is about locusts. Now, does everybody know what locusts are? Okay, when they come in, and again, I can go back to one of my little stories in Africa, and that was that the sky would go dark, literally, because there were billions of them. And they would come in as this huge swarm, and they would move through the villages and the fields in northern Nigeria, and they would leave not one blade of grass or anything green. The whole lot was stripped. Trees, gone. Nothing was left. The farmers that had planted their crops, everything was taken. So we're talking about absolute desolation. We're talking about a terrible scene, a terrible picture. And, and that's the picture that Joel presents. And then suddenly, for some reason, as the Holy Spirit leads him, he says, and then the Holy Spirit will come. So this barrenness that is presented, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And I think it's important that we understand that because it's the picture that we see. Everything is stripped away. The land is stripped clean. And then suddenly and stunningly, in the middle of all this depressing message, Joel stands up and he says, and this is what the Lord says, in the last days I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. And so in the context of barrenness, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and not only come, but he's going to indwell and live within people. And not just the Jewish nation, but all people. This includes the Gentiles. Joel is saying that everything is going to change. And Peter takes at his word, takes Joel at his word, and he tells the crowd before him, this is what Joel said would happen. This is what Joel said would happen, and you're experiencing it now, today. And you're going to see what's happening. And not only are you going to see what's happening, but you're going to become part of it, many of you. Because 3,000 that day were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Utterly, utterly amazing. Completely unexpected. Not what they were expecting to see and understand at all. And yet, thousands of them are filled with the Holy Spirit because of everything that takes place. And now the Holy Spirit um, had not come to the Gentiles yet. We have to wait till Acts chapter 10 for that. Looking forward to that. That'll be about three years from now that we get on to Acts chapter 10. But we're looking forward to it. And, uh, and it'll be a great joy when we do. So that's the context that we see as the Holy Spirit comes. And when you read Joel's prophecy in context, you see that it deals with the nation of Israel in the end times in connection with the day of the Lord and the need for God's people to be prepared for that day. And so when you turn back to Joel's prophecy and you turn to chapter 2 and read verses 12 and 13, you could say that they're the absolute key verses of Joel's prophecy and we read this now therefore says the Lord turn to me with all your heart so you see the barrenness that there is the locusts have come in they've stripped away everything and I'm telling you there are some of us that feel like that even this morning we've been stripped bare spiritually speaking we've nothing left to hang on to because Satan has come like a plague of locusts and because we haven't been prayerful and we haven't put our shield of faith up and put our defenses in place, he's come in 
and he stripped us bare. And, and Joel says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Now that tells you a lot, doesn't it? You know, that, that's how you come to the Lord. And then he says this, so rend your heart, not your garments. Because we know that just looking remorseful, sad, whatever you want to say, guilty, that's not enough. He says, so rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. You see, that's our God. That's the God who loves us. And he's just pleading with us, turn to me. Come back to me. Because you're mine. In fact, the day of the Lord is a key theme in these short three chapters. If you've never read uh, the prophecy of Joel, it takes the stunning total of about eight minutes for the average reader. So it's not going to take you long. And I'd love you to find eight minutes to read it so at least you can begin to see what is being spoken of. Well, quite obviously, Peter was led by the Holy Spirit to see in the prophecy an application to the church uh, that was formed 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Peter's message is the first message after the giving of the Holy Spirit in the age of the church. And what Peter is saying is this. It's the same Holy Spirit that Joel wrote about. He's here. He has come and he is here. And the day of the Lord is coming and you need to turn to the Lord with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and return to the Lord. Now the announcement would have seemed incredible for the Jews. Uh, we know that uh, Joshua, I think it was, wasn't it, in Numbers um, 11, where he goes to Moses and he says something like this. This is, my mind is, isn't, you know, my memory's pretty poor. And he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, there's these two guys that are prophesying, okay? Because the Spirit of God is on them. And he says to Moses, you've got to stop it. And Moses says to him, oh, hang on a minute. I, I would prefer that everybody was prophesying. I think that's roughly the way the story goes. Put me right afterwards if I haven't got it completely there. And you see the difference all of a sudden, the Spirit indwells all of us who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who put our trust and our belief in our hope, who, as we're told in verse 21, call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And that's what makes this whole section so wonderful. Uh, we're going to stop there because uh, we've run out of time and... Uh, uh, and it's important that uh, we... But also, I think we've got enough to take on board at the moment. And I, 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 I want to say, if I could have a big mirror here and you could see your faces, we need to see a little bit more excitement. I see one set of teeth smiling there. That's wonderful. But this is, this is incredible. Don't, don't you understand that the reason why we have unity is because it's the one Holy Spirit that lives in each of us, that indwells each one of us. Do you begin to see now the imperative that there is? 
We're not divided. We're brought together by the work of the Holy Spirit living within us, indwelling us. The Jews couldn't understand it. Well, they began to understand what was taking place. But instead of the Spirit coming on, on individuals for certain times, for a certain period of time, and then leaving now, we're told that the Spirit will come and never leave us. And so I want to see people smiling. I want to see people that are happy because we are one in the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Don't be afraid. There are people that are afraid to let God through his Holy Spirit work in their hearts and in their lives. Look, he's brought you this far. Do you think he's just going to throw you over the cliff? Of course not. He's brought you this far for a reason. And now let's put our trust and our faith and our hope.